Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program and I'm actually in studio today. So I'm looking at my guest, Leslie Baron-Witt, and I'm looking at Craig. So it's just so nice to be in the studio. Um, today, I'm going to be hearing, uh, we, we actually are dedicating this program to Leslie's son, Daniel Adam Witt. And we're going to be talking about his story. So our topic is Daniel's story and uh, how he spread love and light. Paula Kahlo said, impossible is an opinion. And um, even um, one of the actresses, I think it was Audrey Hepburn said, nothing is Im- impossible. The, world it's, the word itself says, I'm possible. So you're going to hear today that what extraordinary uh, things that Daniel did with his mom. Leslie is a logotherapist, a fellow logotherapist. We have met twice. I do not know her story, so I'm really looking forward to to hearing it. She's, uh, through the many years we have, as I say, have met, and I, I happened to be on LinkedIn with her, and I saw a post that she'd posted and contacted her. Now, I asked her to please send me a bio, and I was quite amused because she didn't say anything about her qualifications. So let me just tell her that she has an associate degree in uh, focused on logotherapy and the neurosciences. She's a certified, obviously, logotherapist. She does neural pathway coaching and, and meaning-centered uh, counseling. And she's a motivational speaker. She does. She's an existential uh, counselor. And her questions are, why am I here? What is the meaning and purpose? What is life asking of me? Um, She does neuroscience counseling as well, one-on-one counseling, and writing your own story, writing of your own story. So this is what she said about her when I asked for her bio. First of all, she's a very proud grandmother. And she's a mother of two sons, one being a doctor and the other a beautiful, challenged son. And she goes on to say, I had the privilege of Daniel choosing me as his mother for his almost 37 fulfilling years on earth. We had a rich life together where he brought me unconditional love, growth, hardship, and also taught me the art of patience and serving a spiritually enlightened child. I taught him the art of enjoying life with all its truth and beauty and being the best mother that I could. And together, we have left a legacy for many thousands of university students. This commission in life was a privilege that I will forever cherish. That was a most wonderful bio, probably the best I've ever received. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on 101.9 High FM on the Finding Human program. And I'm back with Leslie Baronwit, and our topic is Daniel's story. And uh, I did give an info on to Daniel being Leslie's son. 
Okay, over to you now, Leslie. Tell me a bit about Daniel. Um, thanks for having me on the program. And um, so my first son, um, thank goodness, no problems whatsoever. Um, Daniel had a reflux at birth. And um, at seven months old, his eyes started jumping. And I was the only one who noticed it. But at one year old, he had a full-blown tumor. Mm. Um, which was spread from the frontal lobe to the to the chiasm and on both optics. Good heavens! Mm. And what, what what symptoms did he have that you were noticing? That you said you were the only one who noticed. The first symptom was that uh, one eye jumping, mm. and then by the time it was picked up, his irises were rotating at three hundred and sixty degrees. Good heavens! Mm. What was your initial reaction to realizing that there was a problem? That he had brain cancer. I remember feeling devastated, helpless, and then a whole lot of other feelings came through me. But most of all, I remember the feeling of saying, what, is, what am I going to do as a solution here? Mm. So you actually asked yourself that question. I actually asked Hashem that question. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Yo, what's going to be the solution here? And I actually made a deal. I said, if you let my child live, I will look after him as to the best of my ability. And that you did. And that I did, yeah. So you fulfilled that yeah. very definitely. Yeah. So looking at Daniel's destiny, what do you feel that he actually fulfilled? in his life? He fulfilled so much. He, uh, about 17 years ago, I, I actually invented a workshop and Witz um, took us on board. What sort of workshop? Tell me about it. It was a storytelling workshop and what, um, Daniel couldn't read or write. But he could sing, swear, <laughs> <laughs> and speak some of all our languages. Good heavens. Yeah, just from listening, right? Mm. And in the right intonation as well. Wow, that's amazing. So Wits would have, for instance, Wits or VUT or whoever, would have 60 to 80 students in the Michalisberg. And um, he would call it the crying workshop. Oh, because yeah, <laughs> everyone was crying. Yeah. And uh, he would sing in Kozi and a few other songs, anything you wanted, the stem, anything. Oh. And um, he was a tiny little guy and naughty and full of personality and very loving and, and everything. Right. So at these workshops, mm. why did they want the workshops a bit? Okay, so I'd briefly tell his story, and then I'd say to the students, now we'd love to, to be involved and hear and share your story. And they'd come forward one after the other. I'd facilitate those, those stories. And, um, yeah, this was the first year without him. Sure, this must be so hard. Really? I mean, he, he became your life, didn't he, Leslie? He didn't become my life. I still led a life, but he, be, he was a great focus in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I still did make sure I had fun and uh, visited my sister and overseas and here and wherever and, and had a life. 
And your other son, do how did he cope with Daniel's disabilities or his challenges? I think he became the specialist doctor that he is. I think that must have, as a child, given him the impetus. And we've got doctors in our family like all Jewish people do, (laughs) (laughs) you know. (laughs) So I think seeing um, that from an early age, and uh, it must have had its impact. And he's Mm -hmm. a clever boy. And he did film first. Oh, is that so? Mm. And what was his relationship like with Daniel? They fought. They were siblings. Oh, good. So that was a normal sibling relationship. It was a sibling relationship. And um, and Daniel knew how to trigger him. He would put up two fingers. And <laughs> before my other son came over for any yontav or whatever, I'd have to say to Daniel, please don't tease Jonathan. Oh, is that so? <laughs> yeah. Because he knew what he was doing. Ah, ah, good heavens. Mm. Now, were the, this group that were at Vits, were they um, in the philosophy, doing philosophy courses, or what were they doing? You know, they choose leadership people every year. They're often um, people that have come from very, very tough backgrounds, sometimes a missing parent, sometimes abuse, whatever. Mm. They choose people that that they feel need leadership skills and that are capable of them. And it's anyone, studying medicine, (laughs) studying engineering, Mm. whatever. They mix them. They mix them. So when you told Daniel's story, did Daniel pipe in and contribute towards the story as well? Was he able to do that? He didn't because I would have um, I threatened him <laughs> <laughs> to in, be quiet in case there were too many swear words. Yes. In it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what sort of conversation could you have with Daniel? Um, Daniel copied a lot of what I said. So, and and yeah, you could have a conversation as if you were having a conversation with a four-year-old or. Or sometimes a hundred and three year old. Mm. It was it was varied because his senses were good. So if I had a sore stomach, he or somebody else did, he could pick it up. He'd say, "Shame, you're not mm. feeling well." Ah. Um. He had some kind of intuitive feeling, obviously, and he listened. Believe it or not, because he was a, a big talker like me. <laughs> but he listened, and that's how he learned. Mm. And obviously, I mean, the language skill that he developed and, you know, m- m- being able to sing in different languages mm. with the intonation as well, as you said, mm. correct intonation. Mm. Now, did he live at home or where did he live? No, he lived at Selwyn Siegel. Selwyn, just tell us a little bit a little about, about Sel- Selwyn yeah. Siegel. Selwyn Siegel is a home for um, handicapped Jewish, but they have a lot of other people coming there as well. Or day, they, day they, scholars almost. That they interact with. And, yeah, he, he resided there for, say, 30 years of his life. However, I lived two minutes away, so I fetched him very, very, very regularly to come home. Mm. Sometimes for short spurts, sometimes I'd say, look, my hair's grey, I can't cope with you anymore. (laughs) I can't manage. He'd say, yes, you're an old lady. (laughs) This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. 
only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program. My guest today is Leslie Barronwood, and we are talking about her son, Daniel. If you'd like to SMS us, please do so on 34519 and telegram us on 061-895-1019. You know, Leslie, I was just thinking about something that um, I, I heard today. I, no, it wasn't today. It probably was yesterday. Whenever I'm cooking, I listen to a few uh, YouTubes. Mm-hmm. And um, it was from um, uh, Victor Frankl, and it was a long time ago when he had just published The Man's Search yeah. for Meaning. And he said how, how we shoulder our suffering. And he said man is never conditioned by conditions. He is free to take a stand towards mm. those conditions. Mm. And then Carlos Jasper, who was a, a, a German philosopher and a psychiatrist, existential psychiatrist, said, what man is he ultimately has become through the course which he has made his own. Mm-hmm. So... It sounds as though you took the challenge that was Daniel and turned it into um, a a course that your life took. Uh, It absolutely took that course. Um, I got um, criticized on many occasions for giving too much of my life towards him. But I felt it was what life was asking of me. And and I was enjoying the task. I was also finding it very difficult at times, and there was a lot of hardship. There was a lot of exclusion. Mm-hmm. People would say, "Come, but don't don't bring him." Aww. And um, I, I did understand that because he he's, he was profoundly challenged, and yet I learned to speak his language. Another thing that he did that was amazing. He was in the home with other beautiful children, and um, he would, one of them being a guy called Ryan and Brian, those were his friends. And if, if they couldn't speak and they went, ah, 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 he'd say, Brian wants a Coke. Good so heavens. he could interpret their language. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. You know, I read uh, something that a parent carer of a challenged child said, Mm. and she said, he was my greatest joy and my greatest heartache. Mm. It it sums it up. I don't know about a heartache, but my greatest challenge, I would Mm. say. Mm. And he certainly, uh, look, I couldn't have done without the home. However, because they they took them on a lot of outings, etc. But an institution is is different to home. Mm, mm. So he loved coming home and being home and sitting in the garden and looking at the birds. And and I'm sure you must have felt initially on putting him in the home mm. a guilt about it. Did you? Shocking! It was mm. the worst day of my life. <laughs> I mean oh. it. Driving oh. away from that, from dropping him off. It, um, you know, I was told it, it, it's the right thing to do. It was. Um, but it must have been wrenching for you. Totally wrenching. Uh, mm. My heart was absolutely in pieces. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, um, an autism mom said, here are my shoes. Take a walk. Talk to me when you get back. Mm, love that. Mm. Isn't that so true? Yeah. That people give you advice they 
they think they're doing you a favor, mm. but they have not walked in your shoes. Mm. They at all. see it through their filters. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Now, when, when Daniel was first given this diagnosis, did you accept the diagnosis of brain cancer? Did they say he had a lifespan, uh, so many uh, months or years to live? So we went to many doctors here in South Africa. We also contacted doctors overseas and in New York. And the, the general... Uh, advice that we were given was that he had um, 48 hours to live Good and that no, none of them wanted to operate on him. Mm-hmm. Mm. And did any of them feel that um, he was worth fighting for? No, not at that point. So I had a, a, a beautiful doctor at the time, Rodney Unterslack. Yeah, I remember Rodney. Yeah. He was our doctor too. Yeah. <laughs> and he had, he was from and he had ties um, to the Rebbe. And he got me on two phone calls oh. to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe had his two RC sitting next to him. I think he must have been translating. Or And um, the first question that I asked the Rebbe was, I've got, he knew that I was phoning about Daniel, okay? I, I've got 13 mezuzahs on my door. Is that okay? He said, if you've got 13, it's okay. <laughs> well, why were you worried about the number, number. 30 yeah. oh, funny. and the second thing is I said doctors all over have said that Daniel has a 48 hour prognosis and he did ask me he said he was energetically going to change the name and he did ask for different x-rays etc which he must have sent to his experts and he turned around and he said this soul will make it. Mm. He didn't say for how long. Yeah. But would make it. Mm. Yes. And I took that on board. And, mm. the, and the child obviously felt that transmitted. Energy. Mm. Mm. For, for our listeners who don't know who the Rebbe is, uh, it's um, Rebbe Menachem Schneerson, who's uh, the head of the, he was the head of the Lubavitch movement. And um, a man who had unbelievable abilities to see into the future, but which, by the way, he said South Africa will be good. So we're all holding on to that. But uh, how marvelous that Rodney managed to get you an appointment to speak to him. Oh, and you're telling me twice. Yeah. And the next time, what was the, uh, the message? No, there was no more. Oh. Those were the two. So those were the two, mm. and he just said the soul must live. So obviously, so we'll make it. He said, yeah. yeah, yeah, and he did. He made it. What for thirty-seven years? Almost thirty-seven years. Yes, mm. it's amazing. Mm. And Leslie, in that time, mm. were you, were you were building up? Were you building up your own practice during that time? Did you start logotherapy then? So I worked in corporate, doing training, coaching, and facilitation up until 210. 2.11, I took a gap year. Um, 2.13, the market wasn't so good anymore. And um, it, so I decided to, to go and do the full logotherapy courses and even ended up being on their team for a short while. Oh, at UNISA. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And, and this logotherapy... It put in context for me what was happening in my life because mm. it spoke about pain, suffering, and death being unconditional. You can get a meaning 
from all of those. And and I, uh, it put it in context. I was doing the stuff and loving and being and doing and shouting and being a normal mother and screaming. But, um, but you were living logotherapy already. I was, but that actually put it in such a context mm. for me. How fantastic. Mm. I see there's a message come through from Sharon, and she says, Hi, Sue. I met Daniel once before he passed. Much love to Leslie. I wonder which Sue. There were so many Sue's. No, Sharon. Sharon. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's great. Okay, yes. Thank you, Sharon. I know exactly who Sharon is, Amir's sister. Oh, uh, good. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you just were saying with logotherapy and how it kind of made sense to you. One of the things Viktor Frankl did say is in some ways suffering ceases to be suffering. At the moment, it finds a meaning, mm. such as the meaning of a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And I considered this uh, highly meaningful and to be my commission in life, not only for Daniel, but to also where he lived, to to watch out and socialize and, yeah, to keep an eye open as well. Did you ever think ever that you would perhaps one day be challenged? Did anything in your life growing, go, going up to this point, did anything prepare you to take on challenges? Lots of things prepared me. I lost my brother. I was the sole sibling at the time. How old were you at the time? Five. Oh, gosh. So that was the first preparation. And then obviously I was a complicated child. I was very introvert. And even if we used to ride bikes home from school and I didn't even, if there were boys across the road where they lived, I wouldn't want to ride past them. Mm. So I was complex and I grew up in Zim, yeah. And I'm looking at a very accomplished woman with a lot of confidence. So, I mean, just look how you grew. Is it? Do you think it's through Daniel that you began to grow, or had you begun before then? No, I think we're all growing daily. Mm-hmm. And I think the experiences that get given to us and mine have been, there have been a lot of them, and quite a lot of challenging ones, and beautiful ones as well, and business opportunities, and, and all of it, like all mm. of us, or most of us. I grew, I have grown through, um, lately, there was a, a beautiful man who was bedridden, and I sat and spoke to him. He was a judo, karate, jitsu expert, five different disciplines, and he had gone worldwide. And I didn't go there to speak logotherapy, but we spoke about things like death and near-death experiences and his memories and all the people's lives he touched. And in doing so, there was a reciprocity because I got so much out of him. He was so well-traveled and he taught me how to poke people in the eyes (laughs) and and whatever, you know, and how to defend myself and a bit of Japanese and Chinese (laughs) technique. So you are actually not afraid of facing that elephant in the room and getting it to move over. No, uh, it's an essential part of life. And Sue, I, I don't, I'm sure you're aware that worldwide there are death cafes. Mm, tell me about death cafes. So people go there. They are. They have exponentially grown. And they go and discuss either impending death or interest about death. Mm. 
And in fact, there's a woman on TikTok, I believe, that works in a hospice. And um, she just went on just to talk about how it is when one is dying. And she's got millions of followers now. Good heavens. Yeah. Wow. Look at her purpose. That's amazing. Absolutely. Mm. And that's another another thing I'd like to mention because people always say, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? They say a purpose comes to you. Mm. Part of your destiny. Mm. But you don't always recognize that purpose, you know. I I don't know about you, but I have often... recognized in other people and sometimes in myself that even though the purpose might be hitting you in the face, Mm. uh, slapping you hard, you Mm. still um, are trying to ignore it. Well, the the old and familiar is who loves stepping Mm. out of that. Absolutely. But eventually I've got a saying that if you don't, Hashem will come and push you. Uh. <laughs> so going back to Hashem, going back to God, do you find comfort in religion or, or what, what is it that gives you comfort when, when you phone the Rebbe, for instance, and you believe in what he says? What is your, what is your belief system? So I'm not a from person. Mm-hmm. I'm a highly spiritually dedicated person. I connect in my way. I shul, I'm not a regular, but I have always kept the traditional holidays for my children and and Shabbos, so the, what? The, the, the Shabbos lighting. Okay, the candles. Mm, mm. So for you, what are the important values in, in your love. life? Mm-hmm, in your life? Love, authenticity, people. I love people and understanding how brains work. I love nature. I love cooking. I love experiencing. I'd say that's, I've had a lot of experiences and I look for them. So what I'm hearing you saying, and I, and definitely what was coming across very clearly, is that you believe strongly in what um, Viktor Frankl talks about the avenues to meaning. Yes, the all the experiential values, the creative values, attitudinal values. You've got all of those. Thank you. But could you explain to your audience what they are? Well, carry on. You do. No, I would like you to. Okay. So the creative values, in short, are what you give to the world. You can do an art piece. You can run a beautiful business. You what you give to the world. And what you did with those bits uh, groups that you were running, for instance. Yeah, for instance. Mm-hmm. And then um, experiential is what you experience free of charge from your world. And often when you say to people, what do you get for Mahala? And they say, they look around, they don't know. And they, they, they're not smelling the hummus, literally. <laughs> <laughs> and the last thing is your attitude. And it's your attitude, especially towards pain and suffering mm. and how you find meaning in those, in those circumstances. And we did. 
You found lots of it. And, well, just listening to you uh, telling me the the avenues to meet meaning, don't forget also that uh, it's what what, um, Patty Havinger Kutsia used to say is gratitude, Mm. that she had discussed that with Viktor Frankl Mm. as she felt that that needed to be put in as well. He said it came under attitudinal, which I do believe it, Mm. it did. So, you know, um, though there was one other thing that also came from the, the brave art of motherhood. And it says some, uh, sometimes you have to let go of the picture of what you thought life would be like and learn to find joy in the story you are actually living. I love that. That is so beautiful. And to me, that sounds very much of what your, your story with Daniel, living mm. your story. Mm was about that you had to let go of this perfect child that you had Mm. welcomed into the world Mm. and recognize that Mm. his challenges. Yes, but for me, he was perfect Mm. because he was my child. Um, He was, he looked funny. (laughs) He head banged. Um, He self-mutilated. He did all those things when he was frustrated. Mm. But Mm. otherwise, he he was a hell of a character. In what way was he a hell of a character? He was a jokester. <laughs> he, oh, I've got a very rude story. Okay, are you allowed, without swearing? Are you allowed it's to say no, it on air? It's no swearing, but ah. it involves the word sex. Can I use it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so one day a handyman came to my house and he said he, he was doing odd work and then he spoke to Daniel and then he came to me. And he said, would you like your door to be soundproofed? I said, I beg your pardon. He said, yes, um, Daniel said you love sex. I said, what? (laughs) So I said, Daniel, come here. I said, what is sex, Daniel? He says, I don't know. Oh, (laughs) Oh, that is so lovely. It really is. Going just to go back to to Daniel's story, um, how did he die? Did he die natural natural death? Did he get COVID? What actually happened to him? On the on lockdown day, um, the home had locked down before us, and then I, I phoned him and I heard he wasn't well. And on lockdown day, he was admitted to the clinic. Um, At that time, he had a sodium imbalance. He had that problem anyway. It was called diabetes insipidus. And um, it took about six weeks to come right. Were you allowed to visit him? I visited him two to three times a day. Gosh, they allowed you in. I think they couldn't cope with him. Uh, (laughs) Maybe. Did did you manage to calm him down? How How did he handle being moved into a clinic? Look, he was terrified. I'm I mean, sure. terrified. And then, um, yeah, after that, he came back and he just had a little fall and he was sent back um, to the clinic. And it was heavy COVID at the time and I couldn't see him for a day or two. And they tried to do a scan, which he didn't really need anyway. Long and short of it was... The the hospital had actually forgotten his pills for three days and three nights. Oh, no, that's yeah. shocking. He then went onto a ventilator. Mm. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson 
only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. My guest today is Leslie Barronwood. If you'd like to send us a message, please do so on 34519 or you can telegram us on 061-895-1019. I see another message has come through. Terence uh, Sacher or Sasha, I'm not sure how you pronounce your surname. Taryn, it's avenues to meaning. Thank you for sharing this. That is beyond powerful. That's great to hear. Wow. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you that Viktor Frankl will be clapping his hands. You know, um, Leslie was telling us the story and faced with what people said was an impossible task. Leslie and Daniel definitely proved the naysayers wrong. And, um, you know, you you had a laugh and you were telling me about him having to go onto a ventilator. That yeah. must have been very frightening for him. For me too. For you <laughs> Were you allowed to visit him then? I, they gave me, uh, I fought for permission mm. twice, mm. three times a day. And I got it. I got it. Unfortunately, I also got um, the COVID, uh, I would like to describe his illness, not in detail, but almost as a plane crash. Mm-hmm. So one thing went wrong, then the kidneys, then the this, then the that, um, then a, a deep vein thrombosis, then he couldn't walk, then, you know, it was a plane crash. So his whole engine began to fail. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it was a miracle that um, the Ghani who delivered him was my cousin. And he he, he first said... If he lives 10 years, that will be amazing. And then he said 20. And I saw he, yeah, he d- he passed recently. And he couldn't believe how that Daniel had lived. I'm sure. Good heavens. This long, yeah. That's amazing. Mm. Strangely enough, I was told when I was seven that my brother only had three years to live. And he lived another perhaps... 55 years, I think. Wow, (laughs) that's a record. (laughs) Or or was it 60 years? I think it was 60-something years. Yeah, and I mean, there everyone had said he definitely wouldn't live. Mm. So so were you with him when he actually did pass away? So I was uh, there. It was Friday. He went back into the clinic on the Tuesday. He was at home for four and a half months, and we we were lucky I had back a buddy, and they helped us. People uh, at from your home. He was at your home. Yes. Oh, from gosh. all around the world, helped us actually to pay for full-time carers. Mm. I put out for that, and we were lucky enough to be given that. And so, yeah, he was at home. He only went back to the hospital. He was in hospital eleven months, home for about four and a half, and he went back to the hospital on the Wednesday and died at. On the Tuesday and died on the Saturday. Yeah. Mm. And were you with him at the time? What happened was I was with him the whole of Friday night with a friend by the name of Aviva, a sister, a sister from another mother. Ah, how wonderful. And she had come from a very from background but wasn't, isn't right now. But she knew all the songs and Daniel loving songs. She sang all the Hebrew songs to oh. him, and she said the Shema, and 
and we played um, what he called Pavarotti. Pavarotti, uh, he, he called Pavarotti. He loved that kind of music, so we played that, and we, just, we played music the whole night. Aww. And the next day, I had to go. My daughter-in-law ordered me to go and sleep for a few hours. I did. I went back to the hospital. I dropped next to him on, on the bedside what he called his sedush, which was the siddur, uh-huh. the prayer book <laughs> that he carried around, half of it. Hmm. And uh, I put it next to him and I said to them, I said, you know, if that was at about half past three, if anything changes, please call me. But by the time I got back, thankfully he had passed. Mm -hmm. I wonder if he needed you to go in order to do so. I've seen that so often with my, my own, with patients through the years, that the family can sit with their loved ones for 24 hours, leave to go and make a cup of coffee or to collect somebody for who was coming in from mm. the airport and their loved one would pass while they were not there. And almost as though they needed that energy of their loved one to leave there yeah. in order for them to let go. Yeah. Funnily enough, I so agree with you because on the Saturday morning, he let go of my hand early ah. in the morning before I left. Huh. As if to say, give me my space. Oh, well, gosh. Mm. And now you've had to give yourself permission to live on. What mm. are you doing? Oh, no, wait, let's go back to COVID. Because you got COVID. You, yeah. you, and then you lost your partner as well. I mean, you had a lot of loss, losses last year. The year before I had COVID in 2020. Oh, it was 2020. Critically, yeah. Touch and go stuff. Did you get it while um, while Daniel was in hospital? Mm, I was feeding him and he sneezed. Oh, and oh. I got the news that night that he had COVID. Ah. So, yeah, I got it. I survived it thanks to my children. who Your medical children. My medical children, yeah. They, that was amazing. My son sent me to a faraway hospital and he said, don't worry, you won't be getting any visitors. <laughs> and my daughter-in-law monitored me all the way through with oxygen, and that solo were just amazing. Mm, they mm. were the only people that came in. Mm-hmm. And so you actually, did you feel at any stage that you had to fight for your life? I felt very grim, but somehow, somewhere, there wasn't a fear. I don't know. I didn't feel fearful. Perhaps... Um, I knew I had to get back to Daniel. Mm, mm, mm. Gosh. And then uh, had Daniel already passed when you lost your your partner? Um, Daniel passed in the May. My partner came into my life not for a long while, but he came in my darkest hour when Daniel was ill. Mm. And... Um, we had such an amazing relationship. We connected with music. We connected in nature. He was a health freak. He played the guitar. So we had sing-along evenings, and we sat in my beautiful garden, all of us, eating popcorn and... Yeah. And? <laughs> and drinking wine. And, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll get back to that. Okay. <laughs> this is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson and the time is going so quickly. My guest today on 101.9 High FM is Leslie Barron-Witt 
And our time is going. And I see there's a message from Mike Luber. Thank you, Mike. He says, it is the energy of the visitor, love, one that holds a person in transition in limbo. At that stage, before passing, the soul is already hovering outside the body. Those that are living should give those that are sick permission to leave. And I have to agree with you there, Mark. I've seen that so often. And Leslie's nodding her head. Mm. Did you have to give, did you give Daniel permission to leave when he stopped holding your hand, for instance? So I didn't give him permission then, but when I went back to drop his sidush, yeah, um, then I, I, I didn't want to wake him. He was sleeping peacefully. Mm. But I said, Danny, you are going to fly like a bird to Hashem. And when you get there, because his dad had passed in the June of 2020, mm. from, not from COVID. And I said, and when you get there, your dad will be waiting for you. Ah, wow. So that was permission to go mm. and to meet up with his father. Mm. You know, um, Time is running out, and I wanted to give your, your numbers out. Your number is, Leslie's number is 083-325-3532. And her email address is baron at iafrica.com. It's B-A-R-O-N, small, at I-A-F-R-I-C-A dot com. Baron at eafrica.com what what Viktor Frankl said in his in his book was what was really needed was a fundamental change in our attitude towards life we had to learn ourselves and furthermore we had to teach the despairing men that it did not really matter what we expected from life but rather what life expected mm -hmm. from us we needed to stop asking about the meaning of life and instead to think of ourselves as those who are being questioned by life daily and hourly. Our answer must consist not in talk and meditation, but in right action and in right conduct. Life ultimately means taking the responsibility to find the right answer to its problems and to fulfill the tasks which it constantly sets for each individual. Couldn't agree more. You couldn't agree more. Have you now given yourself, Leslie, permission to to live a freer life, to live a, a life with not those sort of responsibilities? I'm going to be a hundred percent honest. I am like a teenager at the moment. Right. It's the first time, literally in thirty seven years almost that I haven't had the responsibility. Now, I have a freedom, and it's not a freedom from Daniel. It's a freedom from responsibility, mm -hmm. okay? And, and I feel absolutely alive and vibrant and healthy. Isn't that wonderful? Mm -hmm. And so you've given yourself permission to feel uh, those feelings and to realize that this is now time for you. Totally. Totally. Be, be it, albeit I'm 70, you know. Are you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you don't look at it. You really don't. <laughs> and I must admit that I think, I, I'm sure many people who are listening in um, will find comfort in that because so often there's guilt attached. 
to to living on without a loved one. Mm. That guilt of actually, I am enjoying my life, but I better mm. not because you know mm. they're not here to enjoy it as well. Mm. So you've given people permission to to go on, and um, for those who are interested, Leslie does run one-on-one. Um, counseling sessions she also does do the writing a story now i think that's that's an important one i see uh, it said zim kids what is zim kids okay so zim kids i used to i'm from zimbabwe and i used to go to um, zimbabwe every every year by car and just fill it up with goodies and I did, at the time, I did many workshops. I did some in the, what they called the locations under trees. Mm, go on. With with people who couldn't even speak English. Huh. How fantastic. Mm. And then I, I did some for some, some groups of men and women that were going through extremely tense times at the time. And I did HIV AIDS orphans mm. who ran who ran homes and Zim kids. I went every year and I did storytelling for Zim kids. Oh, that, that's and actually so healing. Been during them. COVID times, mm. yeah. Mm. And the man who runs it, uh, Tinashi Basa, um, he's just the most amazing man. He came from such humble beginnings. Yeah. Fantastic. I mean, what mm. a, that's wonderful to know. Uh, Pooh Bear said. Um, If ever there is a tomorrow when we're not together, there's something you must always remember. You are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. But the most important thing is, even if we're apart, I'll always be with you. Mm. So may Daniel always be with you, Leslie. Thank you so much for sharing this time with me. Thank you, Craig, for keeping us on air. I will be back next Tuesday.